2: Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up,
1: 1019-AM-1260, The Horn. All right, fabulous fifth hour is here on a Monday. We've been through the good, the bad, and the ugly from the weekend, which uh, included some really good basketball. Longhorns with a uh, clutch performance, to say the least. Max Asmus with nine straight points, a 13-2 run to close out TCU on the road, and all those students wearing Horns Down t-shirts were a little bumming on their little, way out. A little bumming. I still want to know how his
0: last name is pronounced the way it is when it's spelled the way it is. I, I, I still know. haven't figured that one quite
1: out. It isn't. It's amazing. Because you're Ace-mas, but it's a- Abmas. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's Mama Says. I mean, it's a family name, <laughs> I guess. But uh, you're right about that. But it is uh, quite the performance. That was why, I, you know, we'll see. Because you never know where it's going to go. But it. And I said that this earlier. Well, if Texas can get on a run here, because they get Iowa State Tuesday night, that's here. Iowa State's top fifteen team, but they're a beatable team at home. If you play your, you know what they did on Saturday, then they play West Virginia, then they play K State. These are like three winnable games, I think, for Texas. The four they also have to go to Houston in there too. So, but the next four, you could get three wins, and maybe, you know, I don't know if you can beat the Houston Cougars at the Fertitta Center, but probably not. Uh, either way, you go three and one in those stretch. Now you're up to eighteen wins. You, you're can you load up a couple more quad one wins in there. And this team can be on a good track right now. And if you remember last year, Rodney Terry's team peaked right at the right time, right at the end of the year, beat Kansas. I was at the game at the Moody Center when they beat Kansas in the last game of the regular season, rolled that momentum right into the uh, conference tournament, won the conference tournament. So, uh, you know, that's what you want as a coach. And you wonder, you know, I compared it to remember when Texas played TCU in football and Jordan Whittington chased down the intercepted pass and forced a fumble and the Longhorns got the ball back and ended up winning that game and went on to win the Big 12. Who knows what happens back from that point on if they don't, get that fumble, and Rodney Terry even used that play as an example to his team on how to hustle and how to, you know, play play. Well, there was a play, but bef- the, 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 the play that started that nine-point, that 13 spurt for Max Acemus in the nine in a row came when there was a turnover. Texas turned the ball over, much like Quinn Ewers did that night in, in Fort Worth, and Max Acemus raced back, got in good position, and, you know, he's a little guy. Here comes a bigger guy. He you know, It was um, Emmanuel Miller was coming at him, and really good offensive player, and he swiped it, got a steal, prevented any points. I mean, look, because uh, uh, Mike, Mike Craven with us, by the way. That was, because Texas, if you go back and watch the game, it was 54 all. Texas went on a 7 0 run. TCU went on a 7 0 run of their own to tie it back. And so now you're tied at, I know it was 57, because 50, it was 64 all. And that, it looked like if, if Max Asimus doesn't make a really good defensive play there, that they're going to get two and maybe a two and one, right? Get a dunk, get a, you know, a layup and a foul or something. And now that's a 10-0 run. And the place is rocking, place is going crazy. Instead, Smith makes the steal, ball, he saves the ball from going out of bounds, chucks it to Kendall Weaver, and they go the other way. And Asimus makes an A and one. And so six-point swing. Took the crowd out of it. He then hits two big threes, and you want to win the game. We'll see. That may be a pivot point to a season right there, where if, if if that you know kid dunks over Max A. Smith, next thing you know you're in a 10-0 run. You know we're talking about a different different game right now. Uh, that was big, big win for the Longhorns. And I said this this morning though, it is amazing, Mike. You cover Big 12 football and football in the state of Texas. Right now, after the halfway point of the Big 12 basketball season, Houston and Kansas are six and three. You go all the way down to the 12th team, which is Central Florida. Uh, Two games separate all 12. Two games in the loss column. Yeah. (laughs) Big 12 basketball is a drug in which that it's fun – I'm not
0: sure it's great for your long-term health. Did <laughs> did you watch the Baylor Iowa State fiasco? Oh my gosh. That was one of the wilder college basketball games I've ever seen in my life. And when I'm Scott not Drew trying to be, right, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic or anything. Like it was it was seriously insane. Like he Scott Drew's like the most laid-back kind of quiet coach at least in a game um and he gets ejected for being outside of his box mm-hmm. like twice and then within a minute the coach who takes over for Scott Drew gets a technical, um, and they gave up, I think, six six points on free throws plus a couple baskets, and all of a sudden it went from a 12, 13-point game to, like, a three-point game just on technical fouls. Uh, Baylor ends up holding on to win it. But every single day of Big 12 basketball is a lot of fun, and it may take a day off your life. Uh, I'd imagine Rodney Terry and that group is pretty excited. You know, for football, it's going to get the other way. Yes, it like is. Football is going to become that, right? Where the SEC football is like Big Twelve basketball, where every single week is is a gauntlet from hell. I uh, if you're if you're Rodney Terry and the basketball team, though, uh, you're looking forward to that move to the SEC because it, it's not the same.
1: Yeah, in, in, in basketball, you know, the the what in the in, in the SEC football will be. You know, dominating obviously, uh, Longhorns do feel like they're moving in there at a good time with Nick Saban's retirement and you know, new coaches at Arkansas or at A and M you and know, Brian Kelly's just in his second year. Sam Pittman's in trouble in Arkansas. There's a lot of a lot to like about where Texas is, but the real sport that I'm looking forward to in baseball in, in the SEC is baseball because I'm a baseball guy. That's going to be unbelievable. It'll be akin to what we're seeing in basketball here because uh, you had Texas and Oklahoma. Texas is, of course, the national power year by year, and Oklahoma was in the national the World Series just two seasons ago with Skip Johnson. They're joining, you know, the Mississippi, States, the LSUs, the Floridas. I mean, these are great teams and I'm looking forward to baseball. But basketball, you're right, Texas will be good to get out and little bitty there. They're they're I don't say nights off. They're they're just games you feel like you can win in the SEC, whereas the Big Twelve you just never know. Which sport of those three do you think Texas has the best
0: chance of winning a conference championship in quickest? <sighs> Because, like, I do feel like the football team is closer to the top, right? I don't know. Swimming. The, I, don't, well, <laughs> uh, I don't know if the baseball team is ready to walk into the SEC and compete from what I saw last year. I, I haven't kept up with what the, the roster is going to be this year, but it, it didn't feel that way last year, right? Basketball has um, been kind of up and down. Who knows what the SEC looks like compared to the Big 12 and where Texas stands up there. I think football – is in a, like you said, is in a really good spot. They return 70% of their production, which is, is among the top in the SEC. They're going to have their quarterback back. Defense is going to be pretty good. But it's hard to win in football because you've got to win all of your football games. You get to one conference championship game, and you've got to win that. In basketball and baseball, you just get into their tournament, and then all of a sudden you can get hot and go win. Uh, so I think it'll be baseball or basketball, but I do think the football team probably walks into the SEC with the, with the best chance to compete sure. at the top
1: that I would I would argue baseball at some level just because it, it, with the with the right mix David Pierce's team could but no baseball is so deep that's the problem and mm-hmm. uh you know in in the SEC now I mean it's crazy I mean LSU just won the national championship Mississippi State's really good uh you know Florida's typically a top 5 team and it's just you know a problem. I'm missing some people Vanderbilt obviously yeah. And they're not; they're at the bottom in basketball and football, but they're great in baseball. So yes, it is a tough job; it's it's a juggernaut. But that's what the the college basketball is right now in the Big Twelve. To so your point about the Baylor game, uh, Mac Rhodes, who I know you know the AD at Baylor, he went scorched earth about the refs <laughs> after the game and says he plans to talk to the Big Twelve. He's going to take a fine, but uh, he you know you, you throw out the coach; that's two texts, and you you give a tech to the the new coach, the the back, the, the assistant. And you, you, ref show here, clown show going on. You essentially flip a game that's totally in Baylor's control into a. I and mean, they nearly lost the game. Yeah, yeah. Because Iowa State made a three at the buzzer that just was late from getting out of the kid's hands. And Iowa State will play here in Austin tomorrow night. Yeah, it was uh, It was an incredible game, an absolutely incredible game. It was. I mean, Saturday was just. I mean, the Texas game was a blast. I mean, yes, it takes. If you're a huge fan, it takes, you know, you know, gray hair days off your life because it's they're all so tense. But then the, uh, the Kansas-Houston game was great. That environment at Fog allen Fieldhouse oh, is man. so incredible. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they get these kids now in these student sections. And I know, Ty, you're a big EDM guy, electronic dance music. I mean, they get that no, EDM no, no, going. No,
2: no, 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 no,
1: You're not? What are no, you? No, I, I Oh, your ex-girlfriend was? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. We'll <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Let's make that clear. <laughs> I was crossing my musical streams. Your ex-girlfriend was a big EDM. So you went to some shows with her, right, back in the day? Sadly, yes. Sadly. I don't want to get you in trouble with your Did you have also. to pretend during that time that you
0: liked it, or yes. were you always up front that okay, so no, that's, the, that's, the beginning of the relationship, relationship I pretended
2: yeah. I, or I was pretending and
0: then see I think this is a good way to measure if you're in a solid relationship or not. Like you should never have to pretend that you like a thing that the other person likes. Like my my soon to be wife went to Kerrville, Tyvee, and went to Texas Tech. It has never gone to a football game in her life. (laughs) And she's never pretended to care about it. And she'll listen to me talk about it just because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. But she doesn't, like, provide feedback or anything like that. But I do feel bad for her because she knows I'm not a huge basketball fan. I I mean, I have football brain. Uh, Soccer is my 2nd favorite sport. Baseball would be third. And so basketball is kind of lower on the list. But then on Saturday, one of my, you know, maybe 15 free weekends of the year – I went from watching Texas at one to Kansas, Houston at three to Baylor, Iowa State at like seven. She's like, "What in the? What is happening here? <laughs> like, what? You're, this is who? Who am, I, who am I dating?" So, uh, Ty, you just with your next, which it sounds like you already have next, one. which which good for you. Uh, you just got to go into it, you know, eyes eyes full or eyes clear, and just let them know. What clear you're doing eyes, full you're hearts going. can't lose. That, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. right. Just be
1: no, who I've, you are from the very beginning.
2: Yeah, no, I've I've that's one of the lessons I've taken. You know, you you, sure. you learn something every day, but I, I definitely. Not not faking anything this time.
1: I like that. Yeah, that'll make it easier down the road. Because if she if you don't like EDM and she does, well, she yeah. can go to the concert and you don't have to yeah. go, right? That or work. you can
0: just go and she'll just know that you don't like it and you're you're doing you're doing, doing her a favor, her friend, and yeah. then
1: you know she'll she'll have to return the favor. Exactly way. right. Uh, yeah. So what, but the point of that is they get those the, the, some of that EDM stuff going, and those those kids are bouncing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, they get these kids, and they are. It is a scene to be a sight to be seen. Can and you know the Big Twelve has several of the the, the best environments in all of college basketball. When Texas Tech gets going, we've seen it at the Moody Center now. Uh, Moody Center has become I mean, Houston. They do some amazing things in that new, uh, Fertita, new newly redesigned and uh, renovated Fertitta Center. So it's another thing that makes the Big Twelve so darn tough. The, the road environments are among the best in all of basketball. So it is fun. And that was a wild day for sure, but the Longhorns took a big step forward. Now you, Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, have just uh, published a story for the digital side of Dave Campbell's Texas Football about Patrick Mahomes. And uh, you, as I know as a writer, like doing deep dives on who were they then and those kind of things. And uh, Patrick Mahomes was a you know quarterback here in the state of Texas playing high school football coming through. Yeah. So one of my favorite parts about Dave Campbell's is
0: I cover the college side and, you know, sometimes that means the pro side. But we have such access to the high school ranks that it's like, OK, I'm going to go and kind of tell the origin stories of, of these guys. I did one on Jonathan Brooks. Uh, my colleague Carter Yates did one on, on Jordan Whittington before the uh, Big 12 championship when he was going back to at t It's one of our favorite things to do. And so going into this Super Bowl. I decided to go talk to the coach who beat Patrick Mahomes as a senior uh, when when Mahomes was a senior at White House in the playoffs. It was a 65-60 to 60 game against <laughs> Mesquite Petite. Um, and so his, his name is Cody Groves. He's now the athletic director uh, of Mesquite ISD. And he basically gets the same call every single year, right? Like, since Patrick Mahomes just goes to the Super Bowl every year, some reporter – uh, calls and ask the same question. What was it like beating, beating Patrick Mahomes? And this year, I was the one to call and, and, and ask that question. Uh, and it was just fascinating, right? Because you give up 60 points, and he felt lucky. You yeah. know, he's like, yeah, looking back, he could have scored 80. Uh, and, and, what, and I also talked to Eric Morris, who's now the North Texas head coach, and Zach Kitley, who's the offensive coordinator at Tech, and they were young assistant coaches at Tech when Mahomes got there. And what I have found interesting is that none of them can put their finger on why Patrick Mahomes is elite on film. Right. You don't they didn't watch his high school tape and go like, oh, this dude's the next great thing. Right. I mean, he only had three offers. He had a tech offer, an Oklahoma State offer and a rice offer. Wow. Those are the those are the offers that Patrick Mahomes had. And there was this feeling of, well, he can't do what we're watching him on this high school tape in college. And then he got to college, and he started doing all that stuff, right? And then when he, got, when he was about to get drafted in the NFL, it, the NFL scouts did the exact same thing. Well, he can't do all of that stuff in the NFL that he's doing at Texas Tech. And he just keeps doing it. He's not 6'5". He's not 280 pounds. He doesn't run a four three. He doesn't have the laser rocket arm that like a Peyton Manning. But he just wins. And he just has this aura about him. And he can do things that aren't, you're not supposed to do. And all three coaches said that exact phrase, that he makes throws, that you look at your defensive coordinator and you go, well, he's not supposed to do that. And Cody Groves, the Mesquite Petite coach, told me on the second play of the game, White House lines up in double, So two wide receivers to the left, two wide receivers to the right. They decide to blitz him off the right. Patrick Mahomes is looking left at a slot receiver. And without looking to the right, he throws it to his hot receiver on the right side of the ball, like a no-look pass beyond the blitz. That guy takes it for, you know, it was only a four- or five-yard gain. But Cody Grove said he'll never forget the pass because he has no idea how he made it. Still to this day, he's watched it a thousand times. And he has no <laughs> idea back of his how Mahomes saw the blitz, how Mahomes saw the receiver, and how he completed the pass. And it's just stuff like that that makes Mahomes' story so interesting because you look at Trevor Lawrence and you know why he became the five-star whatever. You know, he looks like what you would create a quarterback to look like. Mahomes has never been that. His feet aren't that great. He throws off-platform. Uh, he throws w- weird angles. He, d- he does no-look pad. He does stuff that you're not supposed to do, and he does it better than everybody does the stuff that you're supposed to do. Uh, he's just a fascinating guy to kind of follow
1: through his career uh, because he's kind of rewriting the way that you play quarterback position. That's amazing. Uh, and it, it, the quarterback we we had in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, we focused on the Brock Purdy story and you know game manager versus elite quarterback, and that, that's it's going to be an ongoing debate. But I'll tell you that uh, Brock Purdy has the absolute clutch gene. The guys like Dak Prescott do not have, and uh, he's elevated his team. Yes, he's got good players around him, but uh, it was Joe Montana who told Pat McAfee on Friday, look, I had great players around you gonna credit You're not going to give me credit? Because I was throwing to Joe <laughs> Montana and Jerry Rice and – or excuse me, John Taylor and Jerry Rice and Roger Craig and all these guys, of course. But you know, you got to have really good players. Um, but and, and, but and Purdy's doing a great job of uh, of making those throws. But this, I hate that tag, by the way. What game manager?
0: Because what is a quarterback's job other than manage, to manage the, game. the game?
1: Yeah. Well, and it's what Rod and I talk about all the time. It's the first step. Like you can't play in the league unless you can manage the game. Right. I mean if you can't do that, you you're out. Uh, you got to start there and show that you can handle J. J. the huddle. J.J.
0: McCarthy just won a national championship managing
1: the game. Like, that's what you do. Yeah. And then, as we talked about, the evolution of a quarterback is then you start making your own calls. You can call plays at the line. You take a little more ownership of the offense. And this is what the argument for Dak Prescott, and it's still not working for him in January, <laughs> all those things. But uh, Purdy's already in a Super Bowl this early, but Mahomes is just there every year. You're right. I mean, last week the uh, the picture of his dad bod went viral and his, his shirt off. Right. He's nothing impressive. No. I mean, if you saw him at the beach, you'd be like, yeah. Uh, not yet, but I mean he's not like the, the the guy you think NFL players gonna be ripped and Tony's no, he's just a quarterback. Uh, but he makes throws. And I remember watching him in the first couple of his first starts in the NFL, thinking the same thing you just said. I've never seen a quarterback do this. I've never watched if you go back and watch Patrick Mahomes' first four starts, one of them I remember was in Pittsburgh. And I, mean, I mean, this is Steel Curtain. You don't go in and beat Mike Tomlin and go up and down the field. He just went up and down the field. Yeah. And you're like, this guy is unbelievable. And that's why this game fascinates me so much. I mean, last year's game was an unbelievable game, right? That was the Chiefs were – the Eagles were in control 24-14. Patrick Mahomes brings his team back, and they win at 38-35. Uh, just an absolute thriller. If you remember the last time these two teams played in Super Bowl 54, for three quarters, that Niners defense, which was wicked that year, had held them down. It was – you know, they, he had done, hadn't done much for three quarters, and he ends up putting 17 on the board in the fourth. They win at 31-20. And this is just Patrick Mahomes. And I, as I'm sitting here thinking, yes, the roles have, have reversed in this game. Four years ago, it was the Chiefs with the high-powered offense. They had, you know, Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, and it was bombs away, big plays all the, all the time uh, four years ago. And it was the Niners with the real sticky defense and uh, Dominate, and, you know, they you know, tried to manage the game with Jimmy Garoppolo. And then you know they couldn't. Uh, Caraplo couldn't make a couple big throws when they needed him to. They end up losing that game. Well, this year it's flipped. It's the Niners that get all the big plays. They've got Ayuk and Debo and Kittle and Christian McCaffrey, best running back in the league. And it's you know this is a year where Mahomes is more of a you know fit, you know dink and dunk kind of guy. Find Travis Kelsey, keep the chains moving, and then their defense is elite. So this is this is the matchup. But in the end, here it is. This is from Patrick E underscore Vegas. Patrick Everson. Super sports book says here two thirds of the spread tickets are on the Chiefs, but our bigger tickets and more importantly, our sharper players have been on San Francisco from the jump. You know, what it reminds me of is Alabama, Michigan. Yes.
0: That line opened up and it was Michigan minus two and everybody, including myself, thought, okay, well, you better get on early because it's going to be Alabama minus two by the time this thing kicks off and it never moved, despite all the money on the public coming in. Uh, on Alabama and and the Sharps ended up being right Michigan won that thing in overtime
1: yeah that is that's a great comparison and that's what I'm trying to because everything you know my logical rational radio opinion guy brain and I think yours and even ties even rods before he had to be out today and tomorrow like Patrick Mahomes Better, I mean, Andy Reid week off, um, best de- better defense. Yep. You just said it before the top of the hour. We talk about Steve Wilkes calling out his team for not uh, for lack of effort in the in the NFC Championship game, loafing on some plays defensively. I mean, they've given up rushing yards to the Packers. They got gashed by the Lions, and this is a team in Kansas City that now has Isaiah Pacheco, yep. who's a physical edge runner who can really you know a three yard gain becomes an eight yard game with, with Isaiah Pacheco. Everything screams Kansas City. Yet the line is moving the other way. And as the the guy in Vegas, the insider says, and the public is all over the Chiefs. Public's all the sharp money's on the Niners. Yeah. And scares them. scares me, oh, terrifies know, me, me. too. <laughs> because
0: those casinos don't get worse looking, you know. <laughs> yeah. They keep adding TVs and floors to the hotels and stuff, so they're making money. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I put all my money on Kansas City early, and the longer this thing goes, the more I believe I need to hedge it because the, those guys know what they're talking about, you know, like you know, statistically at least, like not every single game, but, but over the average they're going to they're gonna get more right than they get wrong. Um, so if you have a lot of money on the Chiefs like myself, uh, you're you're getting a little bit of nerv- getting nervous because the line's not moving with you the way I thought it was going to. Yeah, and you jumped on that early. I, I mean, did. And that's like the hour. Like, <laughs> well, I
1: still I still think when you put your head on the pillow, you're thinking, I got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, if I'm going to go broke, it's going to be with Patrick Mahomes <laughs> yeah. throwing the football. Like, it's not going to be with Brock Purdy. And I'm a big Brock Purdy fan, and I think he's a he's a more elite thrower of the football than people give him credit for. And I, I shouldn't say it that way. He makes more elite throws than people really understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's and we had it was Joe Montana, who, who and who was it or Ronnie Lott was talking about? Man, it's you got to you got to understand the game to see some of the throws he makes that other quarterbacks wouldn't see it. They wouldn't make that throw. Um, and you know, he's. He, I mean, this is a stat that'll blow you away for the Purdy side of it. I mean, there's a lot of good young quarterbacks in this league, but this year, Pro Football Focus graded Brock Purdy as the highest graded quarterback under 25. Brock Purdy had an almost 88 quarterback rating. He's better than Tua, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, and C.J. Stroud. So, you know, and this is year two for him. And he, as, as Rod has pointed out, Rod's got the intel into uh, the 49ers because yeah, yeah. of his good buddy Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. But he was the one saying early, look, like, he's not 100% guys from that injury. I mean, his arm strength is not where it was before the injury. It's going to take him a while during the season to get back there. But I think what you've seen here late – in these playoff games, he's back to being – everybody will say, well, what happened at Iowa State? Because both these quarterbacks have that knock. That Why couldn't they win in college? Uh, well, I mean, you're at Iowa State. <laughs> right, right. The other <laughs> or, one was or, at Tech. Or, you're at Texas Tech. I remember yeah. the game at Texas Tech where Patrick Mahomes, you know, individually had like 800 total yards and they lost. Yeah. And I, I remember coming in doing this show back then saying, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm smacking Cliff Kingsbury at some point saying, dude. What do we have to do? I put up 800 yards and 60-some points against Oklahoma, and I'm still losing. Uh, you can't put that on them. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a story that Purdy seemed to peak and then regress. And I don't know if that was Matt Campbell. I don't know if it, what was going on because Matt Campbell was talking about, you know, this three-star, you know, players, five-star culture. And their best year, the year that they were supposed to take that big step forward and maybe win a Big 12 championship with Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, uh, all the good tight ends, Charlie Kolar and those guys – They didn't. They didn't. They underachieved. So people kind of knocked Purdy. Because there was talk coming out of his sophomore year that the NFL's keeping an eye on this guy, Brock Purdy. And junior year was pretty good, and then the senior year was not good. And he fell all the way to the last pick in the draft.
0: Yeah, and I do wonder if successes of guys like Brock Purdy changes the way we think of drafting quarterbacks. Because it used to be you get the young guy and you mold him, right? You want want him after his junior year. The younger, the better, and you can figure it out. Uh, But I I think with the transfer rules and with NIL – Quarterbacks are going to stay a little bit longer in college. There's going to be more Michael Penixes and and guys like that. And if Brock Purdy has success, why can't Michael Penix? Why can't some of those guys that we used to write off as just college quarterbacks? Uh, If the college system is moving into the pro game, then obviously those college quarterbacks that have success can have success in the pro game because the the offenses are going to look the same. Uh, It'll be interesting to see kind of how the quarterback dynamics change, not only in college, uh, but in the NFL I, you know, speaking of their co- their college successes, I mean Patrick Mahomes' first real game in college was against Baylor, and he set a record with 596 passing yards and six touchdowns for a freshman. and He lost that game by 22 points. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they gave up 63 points that day, um, and so
1: he doesn't play defense. Yeah, you just you can't
0: play both ways, and that's why you know that's why Cliff gets made fun of every single time he gets a new job. Because how can you be the guy who didn't win a bunch of games? Uh, With Cliff Kings or with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, but as long as he doesn't have to coach defense and recruit defense, I
1: I think he's going to be okay. You couldn't uh, get a little bit of defense. I mean, you don't need a lot. Crazy. You don't got to be the steel curtain. You just got to get some stops on a on a football game. It's almost like a. Remember those games? I know you do too. It's almost like uh, watching an indoor arena football game. Yeah. It was like tennis. Who can who can break serve at some point? Uh, and that was uh, the Cliff Kingsbury teams back then. But Cliff Kingsbury is now the new offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. We'll continue to talk about that. And the Cowboys looking for a defensive coordinator at this point. Really looking forward to this game. Niners, Chiefs, six days away now. We'll talk more about it as the week goes on. We'll come back. We'll dive back into some of the uh, other top stories, what's popping before the end of the hour as well, including some of the highlights from the Grammy Awards last night, which I, of course, took in. I always watch the Grammys, love them, and uh, thought thought they were pretty well done last night. I'll tell you why. We come back. Hook them up with Ian Rodby.
2: Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook them
1: up. 101.9 AM 1260. The Horn. For the top of the hour, we'll get some what's poppin', including uh, some of the Grammys last night, including a great collaboration. If you didn't watch it and missed it, you missed a great treat at the beginning of the episode. Also, I will say that uh, there was plenty of Taylor Swift, uh, Mike, plenty of Taylor Swift, because uh, she did win Best Album for the third, fourth time, first artist ever to do that, Album of the Year. Also had a big award, Song of the Year. I'll say this for Taylor Swift. She's, you know, some people think she's kind of a not genuine, over-the-top. I mean, every, just like in the football games, whenever something happens, they pan to the crowd and they pan to her. She's singing along to every performance. Like, she really is a music nerd. Like, every performance she's, like, singing at the top of her lungs and she's up dancing. I'll give her that credit. I mean, she doesn't, she does – you can tell she really is into the music and knows other people's songs. And, you know, she's not just sitting there like Beyonce – like quiet. Not against Beyonce. Everybody's got their own personality. I just think her personality rubs people the wrong way because she is kind of over the top sometimes.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't tell you three Taylor Swift songs. I've never I've never really listened to her. I've never dated anybody who's like a big Swifty or anything. But I love Taylor Swift because of how mad she makes everybody else. I know. Like it just seems so weird. Uh, to, I mean, I think the New York Times or somebody, Washington Post, did a story of like how much she's really on the screen. Yeah, we uh, had that last it,
1: week. Like 22 seconds. Yeah,
0: it's like no time at all. Like if you can't handle 22 seconds of discomfort of somebody you don't like on the screen, then like I have a hard
1: time understanding how you get through your day. No, I know. Uh, you're angry about something. Then I said that because our, our producer Ty is one. Don't of get, get me started. Angry. Don't get me. It's sorry. not the air time.
2: It's the social media time.
1: Well, see you choose you to be can, on social media. you can media. get off that. I you
2: know, just, just checked Twitter.
1: Just, mute, just, mute, the first Taylor thing. Well, you're you're going to see her today because she won two Grammys last night and she became That's the first artist ever to win Album of the Year four times. I mean, you're talking about Frank Sinatra – you know, Michael, I'm trying to can't remember the names. I mean, these are the elite of the all-time. And it's never – she's the first female ever to do it three times. That is pretty now wild. Now she has though. four. <laughs>
0: it's pretty wild that we're putting Taylor Swift and, like, Frank Sinatra.
1: Or not, they are. Like. I mean, whoever votes for the Grammys, the uh, rec- recording in the – you know, or whatever they're called, they vote for her, and she's won it four times now. And I, I think most people thought that was a surprise last night. I think that uh, Best album, category, album of the Year was expected to go elsewhere. Uh, that group, Boy Genius – uh, was one olivia rodrigo and there's some others that i think john batiste who won it last year had, was nominated but uh, i gotta tell you
0: i respect your ability to keep up with new music because i'm 38 years old and i have reached that point where i don't really take in much new music like i have the the music that i like and that i've grown up listening to and i pretty much just listen to all of that um, so to keep up with like I think there becomes a time in your life where you just kind of turn off the new stuff and you just become the guy who's like, ah, I hate this new – whatever genre you like, right? Like I like rap music, and it's like, ah, these kids, they don't rap anymore, you know? And uh, you still
1: keep up with all the, the new music, and I think yeah, that's, that's – Yeah, I impressive. try to listen to it. I mean, I, like on my playlist, I like read it when all the Grammy Awards came out. I, I made a playlist of 2023. I put all my favorite songs from the year that came out this year that I like from bands and artists that I like. But I also added a bunch of the, the nominated songs just so they kind of rotate and I get to hear them, just to hear what, what, what uh, is being nominated. Some of it I don't like. I mean, I wasn't a huge – I mean, SZA was a big – she was nominated for a lot, and she's talented yeah. as heck, but this is not my deal. It's, it's not tiny. my ear. Right. Sure. Um, but, you know, John, I, I found the John Batiste album – John Batiste is one of the most brilliant musicians on the planet, um, and he – that album, I found it the same way because he—I you know, was just kind of looking, and that was getting nominated for a bunch of awards. So I downloaded it and became one of my favorite albums. So to your point, yes, I do. I kind of get bored with the same old stuff all the yeah. time. I like to have keep it fresh. No. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to the same.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: Mac Miller album, like, <laughs> yeah. every day. Well, I still uh, listen to you know, them. Like, <laughs> like, I got, I mean, Wilco, or, or the songs that I've been listening to for 25 years, I still have them in, in heavy rotation. But I do try to mix in some new stuff just to keep it fresh. It's always good. And, by the way, did you know this? That Taylor Swift, of course, is dating Travis Kelsey. And no. her ex, two of her ex-boyfriends, Joe Alwyn and Paul Mescal, have a, have two of her, she's had several boyfriends, they have a group text called The Tortured Man's Club. <laughs> and Taylor Swift announced last night that she's got a new album coming out called The Tortured Poets Department. See, that's that is such like <laughs> I think it's
0: everybody's job to make fun of losers and if Taylor Swift wants to pick up that mantle of making fun of her loser ex-boyfriends who apparently have a group chat about, she her, writes like, about that's, them. that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of. Like that is that is grade a loser behavior right that's great the way you get the way you win a breakup is by being happier than the other person that's right right and if you're still in a text message with other jilted lovers talking about your format like she's one she's like with travis kelsey um so yeah that's uh that's and that's, she, that's then really she writes funny. songs about you yeah right that's she, the other she, part she, of that that's I, maybe that's why i like taylor swift she's kind of a rapper in that way right she like writes like diss tracks about about people and i can appreciate that
1: and that's why I like the Kelsey's, even though people don't, because the you know, Jason Kelsey will give his brother the grief saying, You know, if you guys this doesn't work out, she's gonna be writing songs about you and he's like, Yeah, I know. I yeah, know very That's, cool that's what he's <laughs> counting on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Travis oh, likes man. it. He I, uh, he enjoys that. There's spotlight. talk of nuptials. There's talks of nu- nuptials. Um, This says, uh, I thought she came across pretty arrogant last night. She didn't even look at Celine Dion when they talked about her new album and how she was going to post it right now. Seemed pretty self-centered. Well, look, in her first one that she won, she she, she promoted a new album that she's coming out. She said, I had had a secret for two months, and there's a new album, and it's coming out. Now, when she won it with Celine Dion, it was kind of weird, because Celine Dion was kind of that was one of the surprises, because she's been in in poor health, and she was out there, and she presented Mm. the best album. And she handed it to Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, I thought, was a little bit uncomfortable, because one of the collaborators on her album, the one album of the year was Lana Del Rey. And Lana Del Rey was up for best album too. Like her album was, that was the one that I think a lot of the critics thought was going to win. And it didn't. But because she was a collaborator, she was up there on stage behind her. And at one point, Taylor Swift even said, you know, Lana Del Rey is, called her a genius or whatever. And she's kind of hiding in the back. I think Lana Del Rey didn't want to, looked like she was, you know, stealing any of the shine, Uh, which was interesting. I I knew Lana Del Rey had her own, and her album's really good. She's a talented person, too. But, yeah, it was a a heavy female night. Heavy female night. I don't think – I think the only – it's pretty funny. The only – one of the only dudes who won was the rapper who then got arrested after the – (laughs) they took Killer Mike in, man. Yeah, Killer Mike got arrested, Ah, cuffed and stuffed right after he won three Grammys. Brutal. It's a tough time. You're brutal, man. Tough time. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll play a little bit of that. We'll go a little what's popping. We're also talking about what's popping with the Cowboys. Uh, Ty, have you have you said and confirmed, do you, you have an official favorite for Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator? Is it who? Who's your guy? Because I know you, last week we talked about a little bit like Joe Witt Jr. would be a good promotion, uh, but he's already landed in Washington. Do you have a favorite for the Cowboys?
2: That, my favorite? My favorite? Yes. Uh, I'd have to agree with you all that Mike Zimmer, just because of the familiar, familiarity with him and the Jones family. Uh, beyond that, my, who I would like to see is Mike
1: Vrabel. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the fan sentiment because then you know, man, he may end up being our head coach, and mm-hmm. that might be a good move. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't want to say poor Mike McCarthy, but at some level poor Mike McCarthy that um, you know, everybody in Cowboy land that I know wanted Dan Quinn to be the head coach. And not Mike McCarthy. And now you may hire Mike Vrabel, whoever is in, I wish Mike McCarthy was not our coach. I still don't understand what the Titans were thinking. Like time you
0: fire a head coach and everybody in your division is happy about it, and then everybody every fan base in the in the country wants their team to hire that guy, you probably probably fired the wrong dude.
1: Well, and I I think the answer is Amy Adams Strunk, and I will never root for a member of the Adams family. No. Because I'm a Bud Adams. I don't. Even, I won't even watch the Adams family oh, because of them. Yeah. Well, she's the daughter of Bud Adams, the uh, criminal that he was, mm-hmm. scoundrel. He, um, she essentially said, because I mean, and Rod and I have been through this, but you know, last year or you know, eighteen months ago, Mike Vrabel got at odds with their general manager, and they were there was a lot of friction, and, and most people believe it centered around the AJ Brown trade. That when AJ Brown on draft night was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, Mike Vrabel was furious about it. Like, what are we doing? I mean, we just traded one of the best young receivers in all of pro football. And, we you know, we got this combination of Derrick Henry pounding the rock. We got this receiver out here that no one can cover. That, you know, Ryan Tannehill was playing his best football at the time. And I think it led to you know, kind of a split of opinion there. I remember, Mike Vrabel, the, the general manager, was brought in with Mike. from the He was from the the, the Patriots tree. And then so they fired him. Mike Vrabel won that power struggle. And Amy Adams Strunk hired Rand Cawthorn from the 49ers. And he came in, and Mike Vrabel couldn't get along with him either. And so they had friction, and I think she just said, you know what, I'm I'm choosing. I li- I'm going to take Cawthorne because I think his vision for the future is right, and you can't get along with anybody, so we're going to let you go. Is that a good organizational decision? We'll see. And the fact that Vrabel didn't get a job, I think that there are some folks who think he might be a little bit too prickly. Uh, if you're going to look – in an era of collaboration, and you're trying to work together with a chain of command and those kind of things, and maybe Vrabel kind of kind of shies away from that. Which you know, if he gets hired in Dallas, you know he reports to Jerry Jones, because you know because somebody asked earlier, are the Cowboys kind of unique in that? You know, usually the head coach hires his defensive coordinator. Usually whoever the coach is, mm-hmm. he makes these decisions. No, 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 not in Dallas. Like, how much of a percentage do you think Mike McCarthy will have say on who the defensive coordinator is? Zero, I mean, five percent, <laughs> maybe. You know, like, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, we know who the,
0: the final answer is in, in that. It does. I think this carousel of coaching changes at the college and the pro level has really solidified the idea that, that the game is getting younger. Uh, you know, you see the head coaches um, getting hired in college and the pros, and they, they tend to be younger guys. Bill Belichick didn't get a, a get a job, right? Uh, Pete Carroll's not a head coach in college or something like that. He didn't. He didn't drop down down a level. Um, You know, Dan Quinn got passed over for Mike McDonald, who's a, who's a younger defensive guy out in Seattle. And so it, it does feel like uh, collaboration and uh, youth and just kind of doing it a different way is, is taking over. But I kind of grew up where the best head coaches were prickly. That was like part of that's what you wanted as a head coach was somebody who was a little bit, you know, tough to get along with, who was kind of a taskmaster, no nonsense. You know, Vrabel just kind of fits
1: that bill perfectly. I, I'm surprised. If he wanted to be, I'm surprised he's not a head coach. It guy. is interesting because you're right about that. and But now, I mean, kind of the, the – Jim Harbaugh is still Jim Harbaugh. He's a weirdo. But, you know, Steve Sarkeesian mold a coach, you know, yeah. kind of a, more of a player's coach, and which is great, right, being vulnerable, you know, Getting down on their level, you know, talking with them, getting connected—that wasn't always the case. And I do think there's kind of a today's player. You got to be able to relate with today's player, motivate today's player, which you know they're they're a different generation. And look, Belichick—I mean, that part. I mean, the only team that interviewed him was Atlanta. Yeah. And if you if you really dig into that interview, the only the only person who wanted to interview him was the owner, Arthur Blank. Rich McKay, the president, really, they didn't want him. I mean, because they knew he would come in and want to only answer to the owner, which would break down their chain of command that they've built. Again, are these is this good? But this is how organizations are built. And if you – I think everyone's trying to copy what's working, which is what you do in a copycat league. You know, in, in Kansas City, Brett Veach works with Andy Reid closely on building the roster and the vision that he and Steve Spagnuolo have for it. Obviously, they have Patrick Mahomes, and that takes it to a different level. You know, in San Francisco, when – uh when Kyle Shanahan was hired, he specifically wanted a general manager, but he wanted to pick the general manager. He wanted to pick the guy that he could work with, and they vi- their vision of football is the same. Same thing happened in Detroit with uh, Matt, with, with with Dan Campbell and and um, their their Brad Holmes, their general manager. And I think we just saw it in Houston with D'Amico, Ryan's and and Bobby and uh, Nick Casario. You want uh, you want the chain of command because the, the head coach can't do all of it, right? You can't do everything. I don't think it's wise to try to do that which is what Bill Belichick's been trying to do in, in New, or- New England the last, you know, half decade. And, you know, you want someone to handle the draft board and the scouting and all, you know, the, the pickups during the week, all the things that a general manager does week to week and all year round. But you want someone who, who sees the game like you do, that you have a, vi- a shared vision of the game of football. And the best example is, I think, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch because, you know, John Lynch played for Kyle Shanahan's dad. Um, he's a Hall of Fame player. And they view football the same. So they work together. I'm sure they disagree quite a lot. But that's, that's a healthy chain of command, in my opinion. And the, the Cowboys have none, which, again, Mike McCarthy is going to have no say in who the defensive coordinator is.
0: Tom Brady's been retired for a couple seasons now. If he came out of retirement, he'd have an easier time finding a job than Bill Belichick. Oh, 100%. And that, that, it's just wild to see how fast the greatest of all time, I think we all agree, is the greatest NFL coach of all time, at least the most accomplished NFL coach of all time. Um, just went without a job, you know that nobody really wanted him around, you know, and and like why that is and how the sport can change uh, so quickly. Because five years ago, that wouldn't have been
1: that wouldn't have been the case. Inconceivable. Obviously. Well, you'd have to trade multiple first round draft picks to get a Bill Belichick, right? Five years ago. I mean, he well, he's won eight rings as a defensive coordinator, a head coach. I mean, he's unbelievable. The records he set, but at the same time, time you know, we thought maybe Vrabel and he would have to be traded for. Yeah. Before they were fired, and neither of them got jobs. <laughs> Probably for similar reasons. Yeah, I think so. No. I think so. They don't fit in these days. And, you know, one of the reasons Mike McCarthy wasn't fired in Dallas is he does fit in. He fit in, fits into what, exactly what Jerry Jones wants. The players have power in a way that they used to, and if the players like you, you get to stay around
0: for a little bit longer. If the players don't like you, you're gone, and that's true in the college level with NIL and stuff as well. Like you have to be a player's coach uh, yeah, that's because right. they are they are they are partners in the endeavor
1: with you in a way that they never were before. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's uh, that is part of it because everybody blames the players and NIL. At the same time, the coaches used to have an iron fist and run the programs way too rigidly which led to all these court losses, by the way, in my opinion. and That's why the NFL is lost in court over and over again because they really didn't have legal leg to stand on. That's not how you I – mean, you've got to give some freedom. You can't lock these players in for two seasons. That's just not, you know, fundamental fairness. And then, of course, the, the income part of it and the name, image, and likeness. So, yes, now the co- college coaches, they're scurrying for the NFL because, A, it's more time-consuming, and they're not in full control anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they've got to run a business now, and they've got to treat employees really good. Yeah, uh, because The calendar. As well. Like in the NFL, you
0: have set dates of when you're working in the That has to change. Right? And, to change. and in college, like I remember when TCU was in the national championship two years ago, they had to send half of their staff back from Los Angeles on a Saturday before the game on a, on a Monday because they had people on Recruits. campus. They, they were recruiting, right? Like you recruit, I want to say, 49 weeks out of the year or something like that. Yep. Um, and so – uh, if you can get paid roughly the same to go work less, we're all we're all going to take that. Sure. I'll I'll take that tomorrow. And so, oh, I, uh, I, I, I. it's just it's. Well, they have to do something to to help these coaches have a little bit of life balance, 100%. or they're gonna they're gonna lose them all to burnout.
1: No, there's no question, and we've had that conversation a bunch. I mean, it, it is the calendar has to change. This is another part of what 2024 needs to have mm-hmm. happen, and not just the beginnings of whatever structure they're gonna put in place. Who is in charge, and what the apparatus is, There's also got to be a calendar change because next year you're playing a 12 team playoff is gonna play all the way into late January. Oh, so don't, I mean, don't even get don't even get me started. Yes so that has to be figured out but point being you know the coaches used to have full control especially at the college level and the NFL it's getting less and less and you you just like in any business you've got to work to keep the best talent because the best talent can leave i mean that's that's what most people can do if you hate your job and hate your boss you have you can go uh, and you can go work somewhere else and do something else and that's keeping and that's what great companies try to do they strive to keep the elite talent not run it off because they're not treating them right you know, at some level, whether you like it or not, it's forcing colleges and coaches to, you know, now again, it, it, it swings way too far sometimes and the kid wants this and wants that and wants to – you know, then, then you cut him loose, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you do have to uh, re-recruit your own players and – you know, connect with them and make sure they feel like they're a valuable part of your your organization, and uh, that's a, that is a change uh, for sure. We'll come back when we do some what's popping, uh, including from the Grammys last night and what's coming up tonight. If you're looking for something to watch, uh, Ty will make a, maybe a, a gambling pick for you. Mike may add one too. We're coming back to wrap it up on a busy Monday. What's popping? Brand fan new fan? whip just hopped, just, hopped just hopped in. I got oh, options. I can pass it. It's like stocking. Yeah, what's popping with Jack Harlow? Hard day, hard day. That's I right, he did not win a Jackson. Grammy last night. Jack Harlow did not I win a Grammy, but, uh, but Taylor Swift did. She made history. She won Album of the Year for the fourth time. I mentioned the list of uh, who, had, who she had been tied with with three times an Album of the Year winner: Paul Simon, Frank Sinatra, and Stevie Wonder. <laughs> she now alone in first place, which is why she's one of the bigger stars on the planet, whether you like her or not. Speaking of that, I wanted to play this, Ty. Do you have uh, – this is funny because we've talked about people getting viscerally angry when Taylor Swift hits the screen for 22 seconds of total air time during a three-and-a-half-hour football broadcast. Uh, I thought uh, this was fun. I found this this weekend. A Swifty took to uh, TikTok or one of the uh, uh, the streaming where you make videos and had this to say and counter at least kind of having fun with the, uh, the, the uh, football fans who get mad at Taylor Swift.
2: I'm feeling really angry and upset right now because I was just watching the Eras tour. I was literally just watching the Eras tour. I wanted to see Taylor Swift perform. And for a total of 20 seconds during the whole like three and a half hour performance, there were like 20 seconds where it showed fucking Travis Kelsey. And it's just like, it's, I was like, what? He was there like supporting his girlfriend and cheering for her. And I was like, I don't even understand like what he's doing there. And why is it showing him? Like, I just don't get it. And I just, it's just not, it's really not fair for us, for us, for us Swifties who have been fans of Taylor Swift for our whole lives. Like, we wanted to watch her perform and the cameras just keep panning to Travis Kelsey. And it's like, okay, like, what, it's just not fair. It's just inconsiderate. And he's like, how they sound. when it comes it down is. to it, like, he's, he's ruining live music. Like, it just makes me,
1: like, <laughs> I, just, football. I just feel like I could ever even well go done, young lady. to another well done, concert young lady. again. Well done.
0: I didn't Touché. see people get that mad when they were showing Jason Kelsey chugging beers and hanging out with the Buffalo. Oh, Bills I love that. Fan I, was, stuff. I like yeah.
1: all of it. I, because as we've talked about a lot, even that New York Times article you talked about. I mean, the, in a three-hour broadcast, the the total minutes of actual action is about twenty. <laughs> So, you've you got to right. fill, it's a TV show, you've got to fill three hours mm-hmm. with 20 minutes of actual game action. So, you're, you're flipping. And if you saw the Grammys last night, they were flipping to the crowd shots all the time, which yeah. is what you do because you want to see people's reaction to things. Um, but, I bet Jack Nicholson was shown more uh, at Lakers games than Taylor Swift is shown at Chiefs games. Oh, 100%. And I also, I mean, Cowboys fans hate this, but whenever something good or bad happens, they show Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. They flashed to Jerry Jones in the swing. That's every my favorite time. part. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, no. And Jerry's like doing something custom. He does need his own camera. And I, I still remember we played it over and over again. When remember back in the day, you'll remember this, Ty. When uh, the the governor of New Jersey at the time, Chris Christie, was a fan in the booth, and they were jumping up and down doing the the bro dance or whatever it was, <laughs> and kind of the fat guy hug dance thing going on, especially with Chris Christie at the time. And uh, that that went viral. But you, get, you don't get those moments if you don't pan to the to the booth. I need some crowd shots. Like uh, you know, I, I I remember when Tony Romo was dating Jessica Simpson. She was on the crowd all the time. Yeah. No, I didn't mind that. People just don't like Taylor Swift. Oh, and you know we know why. People are angry. People are angry for a lot of reasons. I would also say this if you didn't get a chance, can we play a little bit of this tie the uh, Tracy Chapman? This was a surprise because Luke Combs is a a rising country star, and he on his latest album, which sold him a bajillion copies, he put on the song Fast Car. Good the song. the Tracy Chapman classic. And he you know, he told the star this is one of the things I liked about the Grammys they did a little like, for every performer, they did a little preview of this you know, how the song came about or what whatever it was. Uh, I thought Miley Cyrus was hor- hilarious when she did hers and they did a great performance. It was really good. They did it for Billy Joel when Billy Joel sang his first new song in 30-something years that he had written. And they did a little behind-the-scenes of how it all came together. So it was good. And, you know, Luke Combs told the story that his dad in an old pickup truck, and kind of like your grandfather, Mike, used to play this song on a cassette tape. And he loved it. He knew every word from being a little kid. And so he wanted to put it on a, on a, and do it justice and put it on his album. He asked his producer if he could do it as kind of a throwaway. I just want to, I want to do this song. And it ended up being a number one hit and making him a fortune. And Tracy Chapman, because she still gets the writing credit on it. So she showed up. She hadn't performed her forever. Tracy Chapman's been kind of underground for a long time, and this was pretty cool. Let's play a little bit of this, tie. It was a really, really – if you get a chance today, go watch the whole thing because it was really well done.
0: I got a job that pays all our bills. Stay out drinking, they had the bar. Support your friends and you do your kids. I'd always hope for better.
1: All right, there you go. A little bit of fast car last night. Good job. Good stuff. It's a great song. You well, know, uh, it's a great song. It's an all-time classic, and it it uh, obviously, I think it's pretty cool because the song is about you know growing up in poverty and trying to you know, pull yourself up and all the challenges that come with doing that. And uh, she wrote it from a from her perspective, and now Luke Combs wrote it from kind of the, you know, doesn't doesn't know one color right about. And then one you know, a lot of people grow up uh, trying to pull themselves out of poverty of yeah. all colors and that's uh, in the bucket yeah 100 100 and i thought they did a real good job of of showcasing that last night to two different probably two different audiences. but we hadn't seen tracy chapman in a long time and she delivered she was great last night. look great look great so yeah go back and watch some grammys uh now uh, old taylor swift is off to tokyo for her eras tour and then she's going to make it back for the super Bowl. she's got shows this week in japan that's a long flight. That's a long flight. Everybody's done the math. Can she make it back in time? She'll be back in time. Uh, popping tonight, Kansas, Kansas State, Big 12 basketball. That's in Manhattan. So Kansas, of course, just beat Houston. That should be a good game. It's the only ranked matchup. Also tonight, Ty, your Mavericks are in Philadelphia. Joel Embiid out for foreseeable future with a meniscus tear. He will not be playing tonight. So popping.
2: Still don't take the Mavericks. They suck.
1: <laughs> they do suck. Well, they're they're underdog. Actually, they're they favorites in that game at Philly. You might want to yeah, take them.
2: Perfect, they're no perfect them. example, the, or perfect reason why to take Philly. There you go. That's my pick they of the day. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Also, a
1: story I'm sure we'll be talking about tomorrow. Uh, reports that the Forty ers are unhappy with the practice field they're practicing on in Vegas. Too soft, too soft. So we'll like, get to like details. Like society, <laughs> Mike Craven. Thank you very much, senior writer Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You'll come back for me with me tomorrow for a couple hours. Yes, sir. All right, looking forward to that, uh, Ty. Looking forward to you. Good, bed, good luck to our man Rod Babers. Get his wisdom teeth out. He'll be back on Wednesday. Hook him up with Ian Rodby.